time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. I called a bunch of evaluators with other teams uh, and asked them about, you know, potential landing spots for Corey Seager, for Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, uh, uh, you know, Javier Baez. And I was surprised that a couple of them mentioned the Cardinals, saying, you know, there potentially could be a fit there. Other teams are definitely seeing the Cardinals that, as, as being a sleeper uh, team in terms of the shortstop market. That was uh, Buster Olney earlier, and uh, he was talking about the Cardinals being a sleeper, potentially in the shortstop market. Danny Mac show with BK, currently minus BK. Now, he's going to be out at Centene, and we're just uh, trying to get that all fixed. But I said to Randall, I said, don't go too far. We, we can't get BK. I said, do you want to kick it around for a little bit? He said, of course. Thank you, Randall. Hey, I always love talking sports with you and with you the too. people that are tuned into 101 ESPN. Do you think, Dan, in hearing Buster only there, that on a pretty annual basis, agents like to throw out the Cardinals having interest in certain players or positions because it enhances their leverage against other teams? I think they use every team. So you just look at what the deficiency is with Team X, and they say, well, i got to tell you, this team's calling, and it just drives up the numbers. And as I, I was, I've been saying with BK, and, and you know this better than anybody, it takes one guy. It takes one owner. Right. It takes Tom Hicks to say, yeah, I'll give A-Rod $252 million when everybody else is like, are you out of your mind? Quick story about those winter meetings in 02. They were down in Dallas. I was there. And what Scott Boris wanted was a contract that was at least twice as much as what Kevin Garnett had with the T-Wolves. He was the highest paid player in pro sports, total value $126 million. And you're exactly right. What Boris did was got Tom Hicks, the owner of the team, into a room without the GM. It was just Boris and Hicks, and they came out with a $252 million contract. It's incredible. Is there, if you were a baseball player and you're, you're going to be highly sought after by agents and then subsequently by teams. Is there any other agent you want to go with? No. If, if you're looking for every last dollar. No, because I also think that Scott Boris is the best talent evaluator in baseball, either with a team or outside of a team. If he picks you, you are a good player. Yep. I, um, <laughs> Uncle Randy with the save today from the 618. <laughs> I, uh, I talked to Ricky and Keel about Boris, and I said, why is he so good? You know, I mean, he's outside of the obvious things of like leveraging and playing owners against owners and getting you the best deal. He said he has everything at at your disposal. So if you're a player and you need psychology help, it's there. You want to go train with him in the off season? He's got an amazing training facility. You want to learn how to invest your money? He's got the investment guy. You want to learn nutrition? He's got a nutrition experts all across the board. I mean, he just he is the total package in taking care of a player to maximize your short window to make that kind of money. And it helps that, A, he grew up in the Cardinal organization watching and listening to George Kissel. But then he's paid attention in terms of the science of baseball and how to maximize yourself. And then being at the forefront of that and having all of those tools for his players to use. The one negative, though, is a year like this year where he has both Seager and Correa. Let's say that the Yankees have interest in both. 
and they're offering the same contract to both and they're saying take it or leave it right then what does scott boris do and hopefully in that situation correa says well i want to go back with aj hinch and you can get me the same deal there right but if he if he has two players on the same position in the same year that's got to be really difficult from the player's perspective not his but from the players i've been thinking about the cba talks and is it really the owners against the union or is it the owners and uh, going against scott boris i mean he's the most powerful agent in the sport or at least you make the case he is and he has been for years he represents the best talent remember talking to walt jockety one time i said man what's it like dealing with scott boris and he said well i have to he's got the most talent mm-hmm. and we want talent so you got to but i, I do wonder how involved scott boris is with behind the scenes in the CBA. If they say, hey, Scott, we're doing this, and this is what we're looking at, this is, or if they say, hey, man, you're you're an agent, you deal with what we come up with, and that's that's the, you know, that's the parameters that you'll deal with in, in handling your, your, uh, your clients. I would think at least behind the scenes that Tony Clark has to be I mean, have talking to. to Scott Boris. Now, are the other agents going to be happy with that? No, but who is the toughest negotiator who's negotiating the best deals for players and who has the most prominent players. It is Scott, Scott Boris. My, my guess would be that his players would want him to be involved with their future and with a CBA negotiation. And I kind of wish he was more outwardly involved because I do think that he has a good understanding of how to make the sport better. The fact that he is so vehemently against tanking is something that we should all embrace as fans. I Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, there's a sense that Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon uh, are increasingly likely to sign before the December 1st lockout, which in one way I understand, and in another way it surprises me, where you wait for the parameters and, and say, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with as a top-tier free agent or you look at it this way, I'm a top-tier free agent, and I want to get everything done, put to bed before Christmas, the holiday season, and it's over. And there's going to be no restrictions on what I know, what I'm currently dealing with right. with the, the CBA as in place for the next two weeks. With Seager specifically, people in the industry think it's a fait accompli that he's going to wind up with the Yankees. So why not, if that's going to be the team, yep. why not just get that deal done? Simeon will be really interesting because Toronto wants him back. He wants to be paid shortstop money, though, even if he's playing second base. So will that team, Toronto, or anybody else that's planning to play him at second give him what the $300 million shortstops are going to be getting. Well, he won. He's 31, 32 right. years old. He's not getting 300 mil. No. So he's he's going to want a multi-year deal. You're probably talking where teams feel comfortable for three years, maybe uncomfortable with a five-year. That's the way I would look at it. I wonder if he, in his era, obviously this is a decade difference, does he get kind of a Johnny Peralta type deal? Right. Maybe That's, twice the money, but right. a four-year deal for... The years make sense. Right, for yep. 100, $110 million right. or something like that. By the way, apparently BK is up and running at Centene. Yes. Just, yes. So, Randall, thank you for this six to seven minutes of Radio Gold. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure working with you, and thanks for doing that. No problem. Have a good deer season tomorrow. And have a great show. Tell Goldie we said hi, and uh, BK... Good to see you. All right. Kevin Goldstein is coming up at 1030. Thank you, Randall. Got it. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Teams won't know 
where they stand versus the luxury tax, the ones that have the higher payrolls. We don't expect any deals to happen, even if there wasn't a signing freeze. So I think everyone is prepared for whenever there is an agreement, be that in March or April or whenever, to be a mad 10-day, two-week scramble for all the big free agents. Going to see some of that and maybe some free agent signing earlier than that from now until what is the potential lockout date in early December. Uh, Danny Mac show with BK. Kevin Goldstein is coming up. And um, BK is live at uh, Centene. You're up and running, my man? I think so. Yo, do, yo, we do you got guys you. have me? Oh, yeah. Live and direct. Always um, an adventure when we're out on remote. So... That was Ron Blum, and we had him on the show last week and covers the business side of sports, and in particular, baseball. You heard us talking uh, with Randy, talked about it with Randy Michelle this morning, how fascinating it may be with some teams. Do they want to be aggressive in this three-week window? Do they want to put pressure on the potential free agents that they have targeted and try to get this done before the lockout, or are we might see both, or are we going to just see that frenzy if it does go into deep into the winter and right before spring training they come up with an agreement, and then all of a sudden it's a frenzy of big name free agents. I, I am fascinated on on how this all plays out. Yeah, I think there's going to be two deadlines, and as you know, Dan, deadlines make deals, and there's going to be two of them this year. One is coming right before December first, where teams are going to want to lock up the guys so that way they know going into the winter, okay. Here's where we stand right now. And then you've got probably the next two, three months, depending on who you listen to, whether it be February or March when uh, things open back up again, uh, to be able to start replanning, reshuffling your board, going into the next wave, if you will, of free agency. So I I think that'll be one. And then the next deadline is, of course, right around spring training when you're going to want to have those guys in camp. It's interesting because I read that same piece from uh, Jeff Passan earlier today. And I felt like the theme throughout was basically, hey, everybody's trying to leverage everything they've got right now. That's teams, that's players, that's agents, that's owners. Everybody is playing the leverage game. I think John Mosaylock is really good at this game, and he's been playing it very well so far throughout the GM's meetings of basically like he made the comments on Paul DeYoung. Of course he's going to say he still believes in him because whether he does or not, it, it serves him well to say that he does because, A, he very well may be your starting shortstop next year, and, B, if you are going to try to extract some value via trade, well, yeah, you're not going to say publicly we don't believe in the guy anymore because then it completely removes all trade value from him publicly. So that's what's happening here right now. I think that's what's happening with these talks that you're you're mentioning with the shortstops. I think Scott Boris is really smart, and he's trying to drum up the market in case anybody gets antsy and says, okay, we got to get our guy now. I don't know if they're going to actually sign before December 1st or not, but I think Scott Boris would like you to think that they will. Oh, for sure. Um, one of the things, too, though, there is the human element of this as well. And what I mean by that, players, free agency, yeah, it can be exciting. You're getting courted. You're getting uh, hearing big numbers and, and long-term deals and all these things. And, and some guys just say, look, my agent's going to take care of it. I don't want to hear about it till they tell me to sign. Um, but there's others, and there will be some others that say, get me get me signed. I don't want to be waiting throughout the winter. I mean, I, I think back to Yachty last year and, and Wayno. They said it was uncomfortable. There are guys that feel that way. Now, granted, understood, probably many of them do, and you don't hear about it because their agent is at the front, the front of this and dealing with it. But I do think that there's going to be some guys that say, I want this taken care of 
before Christmas or before this deadline. Uh, I want to enjoy the offseason. I want to know where I'm going to go. I want to get, if I'm leaving a city, I got to get settled. All the things that do happen with that. So I, I wonder if uh, some of the players do push their agents to get deals done now and not knowing what the other side of the CBA looks like. That's the other part of this. Um, does it change how teams approach in their spending? That could happen. And so now you're, you're you know, dealing with the current agreement. You understand the parameters there could change after December 1st in the next agreement. And players, agents are saying, hey, we're hearing this. We're reading this. Let's get you signed up right now. That could happen. Oh, absolutely it could. I, in fact, I bet you it will with certain guys. Um, the other thing is like, hey, am I buying or am I renting? You know, that there's going to be some guys that wonder when I get to my new destination, am I going to be on a one-year deal? Am I going to have a multi-year contract where I can buy a house, move my family there and be there, expects to be there for the long haul, especially among the shortstops. I would expect all of them to get long-term deals. It's very difficult for the guys at the back end of that, though. Just think Trevor Story, and it sounds like um, Javi Baez is going to have a good market, but we'll see. Uh, Javi Baez, maybe. What if they end up having to settle for that one-year pillow deal? That could change some things for them as well. So, yeah, you got to think about the human element of what that's going to look like. And for some of these pitchers, too, Dan, I almost wonder if it's best to be at the front end of the market. I remember last year, I think it was Mike Miner was like one of the first guys to sign, and he got a pretty healthy contract for him. If he ended up being at the back end, I do wonder if he would have gotten the same amount of money that he got on the front end. Right. So I, I think that can be advantageous for some of these guys to just say, you know what? I've got a good deal on the table. I don't know that this is going to be there for me That's in exactly February. Right. Yep. So I might as well go ahead and take it. I think pitching is where we could see the most moves early on. So speaking of pitching, Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch tweeted out a breakdown of how the Cardinals, uh, and this is from Derek, view their current pitching depth. And in his breakdown of the rotation, it was Wayno, Flaherty, free agent, Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis. Then your second grouping would be Jake Woodford, another free agent, Reyes. Then you had Hicks, Cabrera, and Oviedo. Matthew Libertor, not on that list. More of a midseason arrival. And I think this goes right down to what we've been talking about. Um, that free agent you're going to get, is it a frontline starter? Maybe. I mean, it could happen, but I was more thinking it, it would be a guy that falls in line with a three or a four, which is still expensive because they're valuable pieces to a rotation, and then another free agent. Now, is that Wade LeBlanc or a LeBlanc type that can swing, starter, bullpen? Yes, I, that's probably the direction I would go. Um, and as Jeff Passon said and others have reported, Cardinals are kicking the tires on the shortstop market. And I do think it's been interesting how everybody's been talking about the Cardinals have been very aggressive to GM meetings and setting the tone for what they want to do. What happens a lot of times at these meetings is, you know, Mo sits down with the, the GM of whatever team you want to pick out of there and they say, are you thinking about trading this guy or, or are you thinking about doing this with this uh, particular player? We may have a match for you. What are you interested in? And it just lays the groundwork for it. And then you go to the winter meetings in December and that's when a lot of this action happens and it can happen fast. But I did find that Derek's piece or tweet is kind of on, on board of what we've been saying. That free agent would be a, a three or a four, but a very good pitcher that gives you innings and a chance to solidify and lengthen the depth on that rotation. Yeah, this doesn't look like uh, Max Scherzer to me. Does it to you? <laughs> no. But I, 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 hey, if I'm Mo, though, and I'm sure they've done this, and Michael Gersh, I'm finding out what that what that oh, looks 100%. like. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to know, are we talking $30 million for a two-year deal, or are we talking $50 million for a three-year deal? Because those are very different things. And if we're talking 30 for one or two, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that would make some sense for us. Maybe we can find a way to make that work. Uh, the latter, of course, that's just not going to be what they're potentially looking for this offseason. I did find it very interesting. Michael Gersh uh, gave a quote to Derek Gould as well. He said, the guys that we're looking for are ground ball pitchers. They're playing in front of a bunch of gold glovers. That's not a bad thing. Fly ball guys in a big ballpark with a couple of gold glovers in the outfield. That's not a bad thing either. I think we would rather focus on the trajectory of the ball off the bat, focusing on the fact that they don't walk people. That's important. You can't defend a walk. We have a slightly different focus than the industry as a whole, end quote. This is what I've been hoping the lesson would be from well, last season, Dan. Here's what I'm reading into that is that strikeouts are king. And sure, they'd love to have a strikeout guy. But if we learn anything, strikeouts are fine. But let's get people that put it in play because we have elite defense behind us. That's Absolutely. what I, that's how I read into that. Yeah, you got to get outs any way you can get them. And if you can get them via the strikeout, you don't have to worry about the defense behind you. That's great. But we've got to get outs. And far too often last year, we saw guys that were walking uh, the opposition, and it just became a parade of walks from start to finish. That can't happen this year. And for the Cardinals, if you are focusing on this market, guys that do put the ball in play, Dan, those are cheaper um, because a lot of the teams around the league have gone so far, they've swung in the other direction from where the Cardinals are at that they have completely devalued the defensive side of the ball. So they need that swing and miss stuff. And if that comes with some walks, that's fine. We'll figure it out because we do not want to see this defense have to uh, convert these ground balls or these fly balls into outs. That is a disaster for us defensively. The Cardinals are the opposite. They can go out there and find these guys that, yeah, it's not sexy. They're not going to be for everybody. There's maybe 10 teams that even can consider them. But here in St. Louis, instead of having a 5 ERA elsewhere, maybe it's closer to a 3-5 ERA. And that's where you can actually exploit the market. You have a market inefficiency that other teams can't utilize. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear from Gersh that it seems like that's the way they're going to go. There's a lot of pitchers on this market that fit that bill. You've heard me say it like time and again. Just give me guys that throw strikes. Mm -hmm. Give me guys that throw strikes with this defense. And it's one of the main reasons that they wound up winning uh, down the stretch. Last night, I found it interesting. The Braves had three guys take home Silver Slugger awards. Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, and Austin Riley. Those guys can mash. Um, the one thing about the Cardinals is they got some guys that can mash. It, it wouldn't shock me at all if we got done with this season coming up. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill are silver sluggers. I mean, you could make that case. So when we're talking about adding pitching because of the market deficiency, I like how you put that, that they are looking for guys that are throwing strikes. Not that anybody else isn't, but a lot of times the industry is about the strikeout offense or the strikeout on the mound and we're looking for guys that mash it out of the park cardinals have that so don't don't overlook the offense i do think that they need to address the offense in some form or fashion especially if they're going with more of a look like how the giants played this last year and others so they need to improve that bench and maybe it comes from within lars newbar nolan gorman justin uh, uh jordan walker at some point you know those things can happen however with what they have coming back, it should be a good offense. It shouldn't have been to the point that it was in June. That that just can't happen again, and it shouldn't have been that way. I'm totally with you. And the funny thing is I look at these guys that won the um, Silver Slugger for the Braves, Dan, 
And I'm like, okay, so Freddie Freeman, yeah, your equivalent is pretty obvious there. It's Paul Goldschmidt. Ozzy Albies, uh, I don't think you have a one-for-one one at second base right now, but you could do one-for-one one or something similar to it with Tyler O'Neill in left field. And Austin Riley is basically your version of Nolan Arenado. The Cardinals have the base that the Braves had, and that's what allows you to compete. Uh, the difference, of course, last year was the Braves were hyper-aggressive once they had a guy go down uh, in Ronald Acuna Jr. to be able to fix that solution or fix that issue. Uh, the Cardinals were not. They, they took a little bit longer, and eventually that, as we know, cost them the ability to win the division. Maybe they wouldn't have anyways, but it cost them the ability to do so. So there are a million different lessons to be learned from the Braves last year, one of which, though, is the Cardinals have the base. And you, you can see from what they were able to accomplish and the guys that are now winning awards for them, you've got to have that as a starting point. And then it's about building on top of that. And the building on top that the Braves did last year was via the trade deadline. The Cardinals don't have to wait that long. As you mentioned, they can build that depth this offseason by getting one, maybe two veteran bench bats. I, I think that's a big place where they need to start. Yeah, I, I'd lick left-handed too. Left-handed outfield, Jock Peterson, I said it even last offseason, would have been a nice fit here. Obviously, was a very good fit for uh, the Atlanta pra uh, Braves down the stretch and had some pretty good moments for the Cubs. Be interested to see what he wants. Is he now at the time in his career where he's played himself out of a multi-year deal and just becomes kind of that hired gun for a pretty high AAV for a player that will not play every day because – if you're a really good team and you're deep, you're not going to play him against left-handed pitching a lot. But is he a guy, though, that you say, we want you coming off the bench and you're going to get some starts at DH. Right-handers are on the, the mound. We're going to let you play. That's that's a fit. You know, we'll see if the Cardinals do want to go in that direction. Uh, Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Fangraphs is such a great site and a tool for any baseball fan to use and utilize throughout the baseball season, offseason, looking at values of players, how good players stack up against each other. Uh, Kevin Goldstein has been kind enough to join us from Fangraphs, and he's also worked in the front office for the uh, Houston Astros, and uh, you've heard his voice here on 101 multiple times. Kevin, good morning. Thanks for uh, joining, uh, joining us and hopping on. How you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Uh, and again, as always, thanks for coming on. Um, it's really interesting, you know, some of the things that we're hearing about the CBA where service time can be dropped, free agency earlier, and one of the ways to do it is something that's right up your alley, which is looking at war or the various components of how to value a player. When you heard some of those things, uh, what came to mind for you? Um, I, I, what came to mind for me, honestly, is just that it's, as much as it feels like there's a lot of pressure right now, and, and we all know about the, the fact that the CBA expires on December 1st, is that when it comes to actual, real, sit-down, serious negotiations, we're in early days. And, and I think both sides are, are kind of throwing things across the transom and hoping that, that, that the other side will take something that they really want that the other side doesn't. And I, I think you're seeing, um, you know, especially when these things get leaked, um, almost anything that gets leaked as early negotiations is never going to be a part of the actual CBA. You know, this is, this is all like, like real 
high-level want list stuff that's going to have to get negotiated down. I think we're a long way from an agreement, and I think that agreement is going to look nothing like anything that we've seen in the media so far. Kevin, what what should I believe from what I've read so far about teams' interest nothing. in players? <laughs> how much how much of this should I actually buy into? Uh, yeah, about teams talking to players, like very little. And you know, I, I wrote about this week at Fangraphs, just the sense that I, I mean, look, I, you know, I've been on I've been on on you know the team side, I've been on the media side, and, and I can tell you, and you guys know this, you know, the rumor mill is a very very hungry beast, and the rumor mill needs to be fed and fed constantly. And, you know, during the GM meetings, a huge part of that for teams has nothing to do with the actual meetings themselves that MLB is conducting. Um, this is really your first chance to kind of sit down with the agents for, for potential free agents. And, you know, you certainly have your targets, but you really do meet with pretty much every agent. And sometimes those are agents for players you have real genuine interest in. And, and, and these guys are your, are, you know, your one, two, or three targets, guys you're really hoping to make a run at and find and bring in. But you're meeting with every agent. Sometimes you're meeting with an agent because he wants to meet with you. And you're maintaining a good relationship. And his main player is someone you have no interest in. And, you know, the, the, the GM meetings are swarming with beat writers. Um, a lot of these meetings happen – in, in public or at least semi-public, you know, you find a little corner in a coffee shop or you, you sit at a little table by the pool or something. Next thing you know, the beat writer's walking back and he sees, oh, there's team A talking to agent B. They must have interest in player C. And honestly, those guys are talking about their Thanksgiving plans, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it, they might not have any interest. They might have real interest, but it all turns into, oh, team A, they're, they're interested in this player and they might be and they might not be. You know, and the other important thing is, like, at these meetings, these agent meetings you conduct there at the GM meetings, it's almost never a serious discussion. Like, you're never getting into the the nitty-gritty. You're not getting into years and money. You're like, hey, we have interest in this player. Can you give us some guidance so we know going forward what we might be looking for? And the agent's going to say, well, he's looking for a multi-year. He sees himself comparable to this guy who signed last year. And, and, and you get some idea. The real purpose of it is to let the agent know you have interest in this player, so you're going to be kept in the loop. That's the goal. I want to be kept in the loop. So if you get close with another team on this player, before you do anything quick, you're going to call me first. And you go, hey, we're close with this guy. Here's where we're at. I, I need you guys to either jump in or, 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 or walk away. Uh, and then you can react and do what you need to do. But it's really just putting yourself like, I want to be involved with the process for this player. The process is just starting. The process is nowhere near the end. All you're saying is, hey, I want to sit at this table and here are my chips. Yeah, it's great insight. It is fascinating. And I'm hearing you say all that. And I just wonder, is there more of a sense of urgency because of the deadline in early December where players are telling their agents, get it done. I don't want to drag this thing out. And where teams are on the flip side saying the same thing because, you know, we could have a, a work stoppage and we want to get this thing done. So this year being an outlier, is it more of a sense of urgency and maybe more, more of the, the fact that some numbers are or years or whatever the case may be being exchanged right now instead of being further down the line? You know, I'll be honest with you guys. I've, I've talked to a lot of teams and I've talked to a lot of players. It's, it's very, very an, an individual thing. I have talked to players who are like, I'm going to wait this out. And, and I, you know, if we have a work stoppage, I'll wait that out. And I'll say after that, but I'm waiting this out. I, I'm not going to rush anything. And I know of other players who have told me that they, they kind of do want something done early. They want to have some security and they just kind of want some comfort and like knowing that when us all gets solved, this is where I'm going. 
I have talked to teams who said we're going to be aggressive early. We want to get some things sorted out before a possible work stoppage. And I talked to a team recently where you know, the general manager just flat out said, I don't have any money because I don't even know what my number is. I have not received any guidance from our owner because they're kind of waiting for the labor thing to, to pass through. And so it's, it's very much a case-by-case -case basis. I don't think there really is a trend right now as much as there's kind of a wide-ranging variance in the way both teams and players are going to behave. Take me into the room, Kevin, if you could. What's going on right now with general managers, president of baseball operations? Like, I know you don't necessarily know the insides of how uh, Michael Gersh and John Mosaylock are working, but typically, what is this time of year like? Are you setting up a board of who your top targets would be? Are you looking at, okay, this guy might cost X, this guy is going to cost Y. What's the difference between the two and which one makes more sense for us? What, what is going on right now behind the scenes for these front offices? Well, I mean, first of all, we do know that Michael Gersh's hair looks fantastic. So we know that in, <laughs> the, in the room right now, his hair looks really good. So, you know, along you know, with, with their, their inner circle, with their, their, their main evaluators, their main staff, and then their player analysts and things like that, they are lining up free agents. And they are trying to, you know, use these meetings again just to get a general feel for what might this player cost. And all of a sudden, you know, you, can, you know your budget. And, like, would you really rather have the really good player for 25 million or would you have rather have the good player for 15 and then spend 10 on this player who does another position and you start trying to trying to weigh those options like how do you want to spend your money do we realistically think we can get it is there anything we need to do to do an extra push to get him to st louis because we know he actually goes to, goes to play on the west coast He's from california he wants to play on the west coast is there some sort of extra push we need to do in order to talk to him about st louis um, and so you're really kind of just weighing your options and, and you know, using you know, both some internal models, but also you know, your, your intelligence from these talks and, and from dealing with the agents of what guys need to do so you can try to line up maybe what are some of the, the best ways to spend this money. And you know, the biggest debate is usually, like I said, kind of like, do we put all of, our, all of our eggs in one basket or do we kind of spread the wealth a little bit? Would you rather kind of do some an incremental improvement at these three spots or, or I want to go get a dude here and, and put all of our money and get someone big. Kevin Goldstein of uh, Fangraphs is our guest and great insight into how this works behind the scenes. Kevin, this may be the fan in me. Maybe I'm uh, naive <laughs> when I present this to you. Do you think that baseball as an industry looks at the upcoming deadline with a sense of urgency because you've got to sell tickets because you're coming off two years ago, empty stadiums, because you want to pack them again. You want to market these guys. You want to market your ticket plans. Do you think they look at that at all, or is this truly just let's leverage the hell out of this thing and, and we're going to get the best deal, and if that means it comes in March, so be it? Um, I, I, I certainly wish they looked at it more. Yeah. Um, I, I do think you know the players are in a tough position, and some of it's self-inflicted just in the sense that the last uh, couple of CBAs um, – all right, let's face it, the players got beat the last couple of CBAs. You know, the last CBA was done pretty quickly, and honestly, the players really kind of focused on creature comforts for big leaguers. You know, it was all of a sudden, it was, it was you know, more about real easy stuff to, 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 to give in on, like chefs on the road and nicer buses on spring training road trips and things like that. You know, it wasn't a big deal. And um, all the other bigger issues continued to, to kind of conflate and get bigger, and now they have to address these things that are, more important, you know, things like service time, things like free agency, things like the arbitration process. And so, 
you know, the rubber's kind of hit the road. There has been it kind of thrown out there, and I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's going to get discussed, of just kind of, of kicking the can down the road for one year. You know, like you said, 2020 was uh, anything but a normal year, but even this year was not a normal year. You guys remember, we, we started the year with mostly empty stadiums. Um, teams really still didn't have, a, a, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a clean 162 in terms of, of gate and, and all the associated revenue. And so it's so can we just have a quote-unquote normal year and then talk about this stuff? Um, and I think that's going to get tossed out there at some point. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's going to get tossed out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I do think we're going to have a work stoppage. I think it's maybe only 50-50, probably a little less that we actually have any sort of work delay, if you will, to spring training of the regular season next year. You know, I, I think the CBA is going to expire. And it's going, and that's when you actually get the, the, the kind of urgency you're talking about because now we have a problem. Now we don't have a deal. Now teams can't make off-season moves. Um, and and that, that's the kind of thing that's going to create the urgency need to get a deal done. I think it will get done eventually, and, and we might have a delayed spring training, but I think the season will probably start on time. But you are right in the sense that, you know, and this is just kind of pure capitalism talking, it's just too big to fail money-wise. Like there's yeah. just too much money in it for the owners. There's too much money in it for the players. It's going to be ugly. I think we are going to see some fairly dramatic changes into the structure of baseball. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, both sides want to make their money, and there's a lot of money to be made. We're talking to the former Astros assistant general manager and now a fan graphs writer, Kevin Goldstein. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Goldstein. Kevin, my approach to the offseason so far has just been la, 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 la. There's nothing happening out there. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. And then once we get there, we will cross that bridge uh, as needed. So for the Cardinals, it, it sounds like they are very interested in the pitching market. And I know you told me don't believe anything that I, I'm hearing right now. I actually do believe this part. I do think they need it. And it makes sense to me that they would be going down this path. And it seems to make sense to me intuitively that they would be a team that's looking for pitchers that are putting the ball in play because they have such a fantastic defense that plays behind them right now. If you were looking into the market and you were the Cardinals and you're saying, okay, uh, we don't necessarily need the high strikeout guy. We need the guy that is going to control contact and he is going to avoid walks. Who would be the starters that pique your interest the most on this market? I mean, well, first off, I, I think it's okay to believe that. I think it's you know when 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 you know the the the, the GMs and the presidents have their little pressers at these GM meetings, and, and Mo goes out and says we're looking at pitching. I believe 100. percent Of course, he's looking at pitching, and and you know, the Cardinals are in a really comfortable position in the sense that most of their lineup for next year is set. You already know who this is, right? We we know who their lineup is, and I think that's a really great thing to know. And you can focus on what you need, and it is pitching. Uh, to answer your question of kind of the perfect fit, if that's your profile, like we're comfortable with balls in play uh, and we want guys who throw strikes, uh, you know, I, the most obvious choice out of the free agent group is Marcus Stroman. You know, this is a, a guy with one of the better sinkers in baseball, uh, the guy coming off a year in which he, you know, a career low walk rate. He throws strikes, he pounds sinkers, he's, you know, a good break the ball. He's like a, a newfound splitter that really, uh, you know, stepped his game up a little bit. Uh, he did something that was exceedingly rare in 2021 in which he took the bump every five days. Um, and, and, you know, to, to get a guy who gives you that assurance is incredibly value. I know it's not something that maybe fans look at a ton, but I got to tell you, when it comes to, to grading out free agents, games started in innings means a ton to a team. And so I think Marcus Stroman would be kind of your, honestly, your number one, two, and three target if, if that's kind of the profile you're looking for. My final question then is about Wayno. When you sit in that chair 
that you were in and you're watching now in fan graphs and studying this and you see Adam Wainwright at the age of 40 give you 200 plus innings and is one of the best pitchers in the league. There are outliers in everything. Sometimes the numbers just don't make sense. What, what do you think when you see that kind of stuff? I'm honestly of the belief that at any point in time, um, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, innings and, and, and pitch counts and, and sometimes age and things like that, but there's always somewhere between five and 10 pitchers for whom none of that stuff matters one bit. Um, and, and, you know, for a while, DC Sabathia, Justin Verlander was that dude for a bit. And for Adam Wainwright, I mean, like you said, it's the guy who, you know, most pitchers do not make it to his age and still succeed in the big leagues. And not only did he succeed, he was outstanding and excessively durable. Um, and I think if you have it, Adam Wainwright, you just kind of sit there and do exactly what they're doing. It's like, we'll just let him, we'll just keep throwing out him out there until it stops working. That's all you can do. Um, it's working. Don't complain. Let him keep going out there and making it work. Final question that I've got for you, Kevin. We'll get you out of here on this. Do you think any of the shortstops are going to be left without a dance partner and will accept a one-year deal? Or do you think that is just me looking for something that's not going to be there? Gee, man, you are sure are looking for something that's not going to be there. Um, I, I think, yeah, but like the big name, look, I mean, Carlos Correa is going to get paid. Trevor Story is going to get paid. Uh, Marcus Simeon is going to get paid, though I'm not really convinced the industry itself sees him as a shortstop anymore, and that's fine. You know, I, there's nothing wrong with a, a plus second base and it's 40 home runs, right? And so, uh, you know, I think those guys are going to get paid. I think in the end, Javi Baez did enough in the second half where someone's going to pay him. I, I'm not sure I would want to be that team. I think it's a very risky thing, but, you know, up the middle players tend to get paid. You know, the guys who tend to be you know, those all of a sudden it's February and you're like, man, this guy never got a deal. They're kind of on the outside looking in. Those tend to be more of guys who are playing on the corners as opposed to up the middle players because you know, the players who can you know provide help to your team and value to your team, both offensively and defensively, those guys get paid. Absolutely. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much. If we don't visit before Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy your work at Fangraphs. It's incredible. So thanks so much for hopping on. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Cramming more St. Louis sports talk into your brain. It's the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. BK is over at the E&B Granite Studios at Centene. Blues practicing, and then they'll catch a flight to... Carolina, and they're going to take on the Hurricanes tomorrow and then Edmonton back home on Sunday. What do you have coming up, BK? Yeah, we are going to talk about the Blues to open things up today, as you would expect, Dan. Tough loss for them last night, so we'll get into that and whether or not it looks like some of them are running on fumes right yeah. now, and it's it's becoming very difficult for me to really assess where this team is at because of the COVID issue, so we'll get into that to open things up, and I think me and Alex might be headed for a divorce. That, that might be coming. Really? Uh, what there, happened? There are some, uh, I would say, philosophical differences that are taking place between the show so um, maybe, maybe we'll get into that uh, from 11 to 2 as well all right everybody have a great weekend they're coming up next we'll see if they last the next three hours